Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for High Velocity Radio. Welcome to our Coach the Coach series on High Velocity Radio and the Business Radio X network, helping business coaches deliver more impact in less time. Brought to you by the Business Radio X studio partner program. To lock down your market and own your backyard, go to mybrxstudio.com. Lee, you ready for this, buddy? I am. It's going to be a good one. Hey, this is a lot of fun. The guy's an author, too. But please join me in welcoming to the program executive coach, Michael O'Brien. How are you, man? Pretty good. Thanks for having me. I'm, I'm totally pumped for this. I've been looking forward to it all over the last week, all over the weekend. So I'm ready to go. All right, Michael. But before we get too far into things, uh, tell us about your practice. How are you serving folks? So I mainly serve sales and marketing leaders at a, at a level of, say, director and above. That was sort of the world I came from back in my corporate days. So I like to say that I'm serving the peeps I was once a part of. Um, and what I really try to help them do, I like to say I try to help these leaders become the wealthiest people they know, starting from the inside out. And so we work on helping them become the best in their career, but making sure that they're sort of fed internally, right? That joy, happiness, and fulfillment that we all need to have, have that definition of complete success come to fruition. So when you're saying wealth, it's not necessarily monetary. Not necessarily monetary. Certainly money plays a part of it. Right, as a former sales guy and a sales and marketing guy, certainly the revenue, the the money, the income, certainly part of it, right? But we can have all the money in the world, but we can also be empty inside. You know, we can sometimes be numb inside. So I want people to have both. You know, and I, I there was a period of time where I had I had the great LinkedIn profile. I had more wealth than I ever thought I'd have coming out of college, but I was chasing happiness inside. There was a lot of stress that was pouring inside of me. So I didn't necessarily have complete wealth, at least from, from my perspective, how I was defining it. So now uh, did something happen to kind of create a pivot or a shift in your thinking? Well, I, so I love the word shift. So yeah, something did happen. So on July 11th, 2001, I had my last bad day. So I was out in New Mexico for a company meeting, a meeting that many of your listeners have probably attended attended in the past, or at least a similar one. It was an offsite drive on Monday, fly back on Friday, and I decided to bring my bike out to get a little exercise before they before they tortured us with PowerPoint. <laughs> and on on the morning of July 11, 2001, I was doing some laps around the hotel property, and, and on the fourth lap of that morning, I came around a bend in a Ford Explorer was going, coming right at me, had crossed fully into my lane, had nowhere to go except right into him. He was going about 40 miles an hour. And uh, the rest, they say, makes a pretty good shift and makes a pretty good story. So then, um, obviously, you survived. <laughs> so what happened? You you collided, you, I'm sure, flew, you you flew, and then uh, landed, and that's when, the landing is the bad part, right? Uh, hitting the ground. Yeah, hitting, hitting the ground, yeah, so it was, like a spoiler alert, yeah, I did live, so um, so we can we can end that part of the story, right? So if anyone's 
wants to know if there's a cliffhanger. There's no cliffhanger. But so on that on that morning, I remember almost everything. I remember the sound of me hitting his grill into the windshield. I went, blew a hole in it, actually, the screech of his brakes and the thud I made as I came to the asphalt below. And, you know, you, you could always imagine leave. Like, I got knocked unconscious. Your listeners would probably think that would be a, a no-brainer. But when I came when I came to, when I regained my consciousness, one, I asked a question only another cyclist can really appreciate. I asked the EMTs, how's my bike? Uh, which they gave me a little bit of a puzzled look. They're like, they're like, Oh boy, this guy's worse off than, than we realized. Um, but it was my attempt to cut the tension with a little bit of humor. And I, cause I knew I was in a world of hurt. I knew my life was in balance, although I didn't know, clearly the extent of my injuries, but I broke a whole bunch of everything that day. And the, the big injury happened when the left femur shattered, when the left femur shattered it, a part of a bone lacerated my femoral artery. So in essence, I was bleeding out in the middle of nowhere in New Mexico. And I remember as they put me on the helicopter to medevac me to the university of New Mexico in Albuquerque, I told myself, Hey, if you live, Michael, or yeah, if you live, when you live, life is going to be different. You're going to stop chasing happiness uh, because I was pretty good at sort of chasing happiness, or at least I thought I was pretty good at chasing happiness before that moment. And I didn't want to chase it anymore. So now, um, so you, you get hit by a car and your thinking is about your bike. You, you didn't have them go, Hey, tell them I'm going to be late for the meeting. There was no the the priority of all your work and that was kind of the center of your universe that really wasn't the center i guess your real concern was your bicycle well so the real well so there was a couple big concerns like the bike was sort of like um humor to cut the tension but you mentioned like being late right so like i i live on lombardi time so as i was lying there this is like the ridiculous nature of how the brain works sometimes I was lying there getting treatment. The EMTs were trying to save my life. And I was wondering like, Oh, what are people going to say? I'm going to be late to the meeting. <laughs> and like, I had all these like different thoughts on my head. Obviously I thought about my wife and my two daughters who at the time were three and a half years old and seven months old. And although I didn't have like the movie reel of my life flashing before my eyes, I thought, I really thought, like this wasn't happening. It was so surreal. I was in disbelief. And I remember trying to will myself to stay awake. I kept on saying, like, Hey, whatever you do, Michael, don't fall asleep. Stay awake. Don't fall asleep. Cause I thought if I could stay awake again, another rid ridiculous comment coming up. If I thought if I stayed awake, I could control the situation. And before my accident, I was sort of playing Superman at home because I was the provider and I was the guy and I was the breadwinner and I was also playing Superman at work because I was the leader and I thought the leader had to play Superman had to be the hero back then and so I had a lot of different thoughts and emotions going through that through that time and and then yeah they flew me to Albuquerque the first surgery lasted about 10 12 hours I needed 34 units of blood product and then the next four days, I don't remember a thing, but during those four days, that's when the seed was planted in terms of eventually moving out of my corporate life into being an executive coach, running my own business. 
So, so you were thinking coaching all along. It wasn't, I'm going to just do something else. It was going to be something related to what you were doing and maybe be a guide for others rather than, you know, being the rainmaker, the one that's um, creating the, the money for the organization. Absolutely. So what happened in my ICU uh, visit, which I don't remember a thing, but my wife was taking copious notes. And so I told during the ICU, I told her to buy Amazon stock. And back in 2001, it was going for $15 a share and we didn't buy it. Right. So I had all these crazy things coming out of my mouth. You're still trying to provide. You, you were still (laughs) even semi-conscious. You were getting these uh, (laughs) divine uh, inspiration stock tips. Yeah. Buy Amazon. It's it's going to go places. And I, um, I actually interviewed her for a sales job (laughs) Um, on my team, I didn't hire her, which is like, she, I think she has forgiven me over the years for that. So I went through the whole interview, all 45 minutes, which is crazy. But what I also shared with her was I said, Hey, find David, David will, David will show us the way. So when I came out of the ICU and she started going through the notes with me, she's like, who's David? And I was like, why are you asking me about David? I'm like, what's what, like, I thought it was just crazy. I was still in traction. I was still in a whole bunch of pain. Well, I was not the type of guy that would talk about work at home. So I never mentioned his name at all. So I thought it was just real highly unusual. She kept on referencing David. Well, it turns out, you know, what I shared with him, David was David Kolb, who, who I write about in my book. He was the first guy I ever knew who was an executive coach. And then in that moment, I was like, holy cow, I could have been, I could have been mentioned in anybody's name, but I mentioned David. So he must have had a profound impact. And in that moment, I was like, one day I'm going to follow in his footsteps. And now that one day I needed 13 years after that one day, a lot of water, a lot of fertilizing. And then in 2014, I eventually decided to leave my corporate job and start my business. The business I, I helped, basically I drew up the blueprint when I was in the hospital. Um, and I was like, you know what, call it universe, call it whatever. I'm ready to do this now. And in 2014, I put a shingle outside the front door and haven't looked back since. So now when you made uh, this change, most people don't have these kind of experiences um, you know, a near death experience, it's the catalyst for such change. Uh, when you're working with your clients, how do you uh, kind of create that, I guess, large feeling, or do they have some sort of a feeling it just didn't kind of uh, come about as a near death experience? You know, like you had a near death experience that said, Hey, Michael, maybe you should, you know, look at things a different way. And most people don't have that. But they, yeah, it's kind of a gnawing, I guess, throughout their life over time. It's not like a bam, here's some punch in the face. No doubt about it. And it's a question I get a lot. So many people come to me and say, well, how am I supposed to change? I, I didn't have like one of your events. Like, and, and so some of them are walking around with a limiting belief that you can't change without something horrific happening to you. And I'm a big believer that change can happen in those big lightning bolts or two by fours to the face type of moments. Certainly that's possible, although not a guarantee that you change in the right way. 
or change in a positive way. But I also believe that you change bit by bit or, you know, to play off of a cycling analogy, analogy, pedal stroke by pedal stroke. So when I work with my clients, I try to share with them. I say, hey, one part of us working together is that I want you to avoid your own version of that SUV, whatever that may be. So if we're not processing our stress correctly, if we're pouring it inside, trying to restrict it, trying to repress it, trying to control it, well, eventually all that energy bottled up is going to come out somewhere. And what I realized, given the gift of hindsight, is that I had probably many moments before my last bad day where if I had more awareness, if I had more mindfulness and intention in terms of how I was living my life or how I was managing my career, I probably would have been in a position to make some micro shifts. And who knows, I may have been able to avoid the SUV in general, but sometimes the universe works in mysterious ways. And I blew past all those moments. And I think the universe said, hey, hey buddy, we're giving you all these hints and you're ignoring our hints. So we're gonna give you one big moment. And this is gonna be one major pause button in your life. And for me, that's one way I look at it is that the accident helped me hit pause, collect my breath, and really reflect in terms of how I was living my life. Now, on the surface, Lee, if you looked at me, it would be like, hey, good job, good family, things look pretty good. But inside, you know, I had a big mask on. Inside, I was a little bit of, um, you know, a, a stress puppy, a hot mess, if you will. It, but not a total hot mess, right? There was definitely like aspects of how I was living, um, how I was reactive to little bitty triggers. And so through my recovery, I learned that awareness and being mindful and intentionality matters so much um, to, to put us in a position to accept what's in front of us and then take the type of action that can propel our careers forward. As, as well as our lives. So now when the uh, accident happened and then you had this moment where you're like, okay, I'm going to have to reevaluate. It still wasn't enough to say, oh, I'm going to change today. It still took over a decade to make the, the change though. Right. You went back to oh, work. Totally. <laughs> like it, it was a life changing thing, but it really wasn't at that point. Unless mentally, well, the mentally, yeah. you, I guess you made a change, but did you attack like your work differently? Were, you know, were you changing behaviorally? Yes. So, so yeah, on the surface, it looked like, oh, bad thing mm-hmm. happened to Michael. He went back to his gig, mm-hmm. like nothing changed. But I went, I returned to my job with a completely different mindset and a commitment that I was going to show up not only in life, but at, in, at work or in work on my own terms and consistent with my own values. And I let go of some of the comparisonitis I was doing, like comparing what I had versus everyone else. And sort of losing this whole conditionality, um, conditionalizing my life. You know, I'll be happy when, we're, you know, which we all see, like, I'll be happy when I get promoted or I'll be happy when I buy that new car. I'll be happy when that meeting is over. I'll, I'll be a successful coach once I land a big client, right? All like 
all that type of stuff. I just like let that stuff go and showed up at work completely different. So my mind, my mindset shifted. And as a result, my behavior shifted. So, and I think really that mindset shift was, was fundamental in terms of helping me move my career from being a marketing director, which was a pretty big job within my company to getting to the executive committee and eventually being the vice president of sales and marketing for North America and having a team of a thousand people and a P&L responsibility of close to $4 billion. I think without a shift in how I was thinking and also behavior, I would have never gotten there. So, you know, and I did have moments like I had moments like, Oh my God, what do you do after you almost die? Do you like sell everything and go to Nepal and trek through like the Himalayas? And I was or like, do you go out and, you know, you know, do an Ironman, you know, to show the world, you know, that you're really strong. And those ideas certainly popped into my head, but then I, then I got back to like, Hey, let's be practical. You know, I was a father of two awesome daughters who were in preschool and my wife, you know, and I were married seven years at the time come May we will be married 25. So I had some really practical things I needed to do. My family still depended upon me. So like going off and trying to find myself by myself didn't seem, at least for me, it didn't seem to be the responsible thing to do. And I say that with no judgment to everyone else who happens to do that. It's just for our experiences or our situation with our family, um, going back to work, but going back to work on my own terms with less stress inside, more wealth inside, uh, that was that was part of our journey. And I going through that and having come back to your you know pre-existing job is probably what you needed to go through in order to really serve your clients now as a coach, <laughs> because now by going having your job before with the mentality you had and then having it with this more mindful mentality after, you really had a journey and you can see the difference and the impact it's made once you did make that mental shift. Absolutely. I think it gives me much more credibility, you know, in terms of, Hey, I've been in the trenches with you. When I, as I interact with my clients, I speak your same language and know, I, like, I know the pain you feel. I know when it gets a little bit close to suffering, I know the joy you feel when you crush your number. Um, so I know all that, like, uh, so, so we, you know, we'll walk in a mile in their shoes. And it's, for me, that's one of the big things about my practice is that relatability, but also the credibility to say, Hey, like you had the, you had the great executive career. You figured out, yeah, you had this big event that was a big catalyst, but what I want to do is learn from you. Like, how did you do that? How did you make this shift? And then how do you continue to make micro shifts? Because I'm not, the way I look at my life philosophically, I ain't done paddling, right? I'm getting a little bit better, hopefully, at least that's the intention, each and every day. So many people ask me, well, are you back to normal? And I'm like, I'm like I, I don't know what normal is. I'm, I'm like, every day is an opportunity to work on my craft and work on myself, right? So the whole pursuit of craft mastery and self-mastery. And I don't think... I will ever be done. Like I want the last step or the last pedal stroke. If I 
I'm true to the <laughs> analogy, the last pedal stroke on this planet to be one of my strongest. And that's, that's the type of mentality I was able to find coming through all this. So now in your practice, um, are you just going with, you know, you're, you, you kind of created your practice on your people you knew just in your, in business life. I, I mean, like you said, you were working with all those people that probably meet the profile of who or somebody that you coach. Is that where you began kind of mining for clients? Yes, absolutely. So when I first left, so I had the great fortune. As soon as I left my corporate job, I had a few clients already lined up. And, you know, for me, it was, it was a great sense of accomplishment because a few of them were former team members of mine. So they went from getting paid to listen to my advice to paying me for <laughs> advice. Um, That's a swing. So I was like, you know, so I was like, this is a pretty good thing, right? And, and I go, I guess I'm not that bad of a leader after all. You know, right. have moments of like self doubt. Uh, so I was, so I was very fortunate to start that way. And I, I do realize as I look at how much my practice has grown compared to some coaches that may be struggling to develop their practice. I had, you know, I had that network built up, but I had built it up over, you know, a 22 year career it wasn't something that just popped up in six months you know because life is more of a crock pot than a microwave right so so in the beginning i i really just focused in on for the clients i do have i'm just going to try to kick butt and be the best possible coach to them as possible with the belief that if i serve them well they'll tell a few more people and for a large in a large part that's how my business has grown. Certainly people have found me through my book and the story of shift and my last bad day and through social media. But a main driver is becoming a really great coach, serving people to the highest possible level. And they start to share like, Hey, I've been working with Michael and I meet some new people that way. Now, how important was it to write the book and share the story? like kind of the origin story? Well, therapeutically, it was huge. You know, my wife said, I think you should write it, but write it, you know, write it, you know, as a way to, you know, for you to, you know, sort of share that story. When I first came out of corporate America and started my own practice, so many people came to me, but said, hey, you have to write this story. It's going to be great for your business, speaking gig. And I tried to start writing it, and I had all these notes from, in journals in the hospital. So I had, I had a lot of writing done, but it wasn't formed in, into a story. And I tried to put it together and it just, I, I would start and I would stop and I would start and I stopped. And eventually, eventually I found the reason why I wanted to write it. And it was really had nothing to do with my business. I wanted to write the story for my daughters who didn't know pre-accident daddy. And I wanted, I wanted to share the story of, was the story of our whole family. Like, you know, I might be on the cover, my name's there, but I'm only here because I have amazing people behind me who I call my Peloton, which is led by my wife. And so for me, writing it for them and then writing it for anyone who is going through a challenge or will or have been, and they're looking for inspiration and motivation that's relatable. That's why I decided to do it. 
and and that was that was the those were the primary primary focus um, focuses of the book, and I even decided to give all the money away, all the proceeds, all the profits of the book to charity, uh, charity based in Chicago called World Bicycle Relief, and they help girls in countries like Kenya, Malawi. Uh, break down the challenge of distance by giving them mobility. They give them a, a bicycle. So for me, I went to I went to a bit of extreme to say this book isn't about my business, and by you know indirectly, it's become part of my business because people have found me that way and they invite me to speak at their companies or it's a it's a way for them to get to know me you know before we really start working together. So my initial design was. Just I want to write it. I want to write it for my girls. And the cool thing about it is I've met a whole bunch of wonderful new people that are now part of my Peloton. And uh, it's been, yeah, it's been therapeutic. And so, you know, it's just it's the whole journey's been just one journey of gratitude. To be to be honest, I I could not have expected expected the type of feedback and receptivity to it than, than I currently, that I currently have. So it's been, has been great. If you're just now joining us, you're listening to our coach to coach series on high velocity radio and the business radio X network, helping business coaches deliver more impact in less time brought to you by the business radio X studio partner program to lock down your market and own your backyard. Go to my BRX studio Dot com. All right, Lee, my favorite part of the show, you know why? It's when you get to ask a question that pertains to you. Right, we get to talk about me, right? <laughs> so we've been doing this show for a while, and then Lee and I have been interviewing uh, business leaders, authors, coaches, consultants uh, for quite some time now. And when we do, we get a chance to visit with someone like you. I just, I get so fired up, so inspired, and I begin to operate under the impression that as a coach, I really do get to choose who I'm going to work with, how I'm going to work with them. I'd like a little bit of objective reality check sort of input from you. Is that really true to some degree? Can you really choose the type of person, the type of people you're going to work with, how you're going to work with them? And then at a very tactical level, if that is an objective, any insight you might have to um, offer, Michael, like how do you vet a client or educate them or frame things up? early on so that you really are doing the kind of work that you feel like matters and doing work the way you want to do the work. Could you offer some insight on that? Yeah, no, great question, Stone. So I'd say to the first question, the answer is, is yes, but I want to, I'd love to get some context or just elaborate on it a bit. There's a, there's a saying I heard, I, I don't know who to affiliate it to. So it'll become a, a generic quote, but it sort of goes something like this. You, you know, to become successful, say yes, to stay successful, say no. So <laughs> there's, you know, there, there's great advice out there around being really selective with your niche, right? Like the smallest viable audience and, and work just to serve that little group and do that really well. And I think, it's very important to narrow in on that. I'm also going to serve something up that's really practical that, you know, when you're starting out and you're running a business and you have bills to pay, it's and you, and you're in the moment, right? It's a, it's the short term versus the long term. 
sometimes you take a client that's outside your niche. You say yes when you're early in your career or early in your entrepreneurial journey. And I went through that. You know, yeah, you know, when I first started, I would say my my focus was probably more broad than it is today. But, you know, and, and, and I certainly had clients that fit that sales and marketing profile. But certainly, I took on some clients that were outside of that. And were they ideal? No. But I used them as part of my experience, part of my my resume build or my journey or however you want to phrase it to get more coaching experience. Even though I had spent 22 years in a pharmaceutical industry and I high level leadership, coaching is different than leading within a corporation. So, so I think the answer is yes. And with a little bit of massaging around, you know, the edges, as you start to build up you know, credibility as a coach, and you can continue to laser in on who you really want to work with, then you're in a better position to say no, right? And so you, and now after this is my fifth year in my business, I'm in a position to say, you know, I don't take that type of work anymore, but I can certainly help you out and network, network with you to help you find the right coach, the right consultant to do that type of work. So yeah, early on, you hear there was, you know, you hear the feedback that's all about like niche, 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 niche. But I think there's something really practical that if you go outside your niche, you're not a bad coach. You're not a bad marketer. You're being really practical because you have bills to pay. Um, you have things to finance. So that that's generally uh, my approach. Now, as I go into it now, I, I sit down and really do a deep dive chemistry wise. And a lot of times I use my book. I think books can be, the biggest business card you have, right? So many people are like, ah, I want to you know, write a book. I want to, want to get the book, you know, sell millions of copies. And back in the day when Oprah was doing her book club, we had Oprah's book club and off to the races we go and best-selling lists and all that jazz like that. The way I use Shift, Creating Better Tomorrows, is that I give a copy to a prospective client and I say, hey, read through it. If you like it, we're going to, we're going to work great together. If you don't like it, Hey, I am not the lid to your pot and we're not going to get along. Uh, it's nothing personal. So, right. Nothing personal. Like, hey, if you don't like this story, like, you know what? I ain't your jam. That's, and you know what? No judgment. I'm not blaming you. That's cool. Um, so I do that. Plus I sit down with them and, and really trying to understand like where, where are they coming from? Uh, what their goals are now. I also get a lot of a lot of my clients are are sponsored by their company, so the co- the coaching is paid for by the company. So I mm-hmm. I'll sit down with HR, I'll sit down with their boss, and I'll sit down with them. And and unfortunately, although coaching is starting to make you know the the perspective of coaching is starting to shift, but back in the day, coaching was used in corporate America for all the people that were deemed like problem leaders, right? You right. had a problem to fix. Just fix Bill. And, <laughs> Go, Michael, fix yeah. Bill. Yeah. You know, it's just, um, and it was like the last step before you got fired. And early in my coaching career, I had a couple great clients, even that are still with me today, say, hey, am I going to get fired? Are you going to fire me? And I'm like, nope. I'm like, I will not work with you. If that's, if that's the goal by your company, 
I'm not taking that on because I believe coaching, like in sports, is all about, or in any other profession, it's about lifting people up and making them, as cliche as this is, but Jim Collins made it into a cliche, taking you from good, making you great, taking you from great, making you awesome. So we sit down and we make sure that we're a good fit because if the fit ain't there, then the coaching is not going to work. So it's a little bit of that chemistry meeting, if you will, and a little bit of reading of shift. If they like the first chapter, I think we're going to be okay. So now you mentioned a little bit about the onboarding, but say a, a client comes to you kind of just an inbound, not, not a, not a gig where you have a working with a company and they're sending you people, but just somebody comes to you, finds you, what does that onboarding look like? Is it like, Hey, read the first chapter of my book, uh, or maybe that's part of it, but what are some of the questions you ask and kind of the back and forth that occurs maybe during that first call to just, um, make sure that everything's going to go the way that you each want it to. Yeah. Great, great question. So I'm, I generally ask like, okay, how'd you find me? And what, what did you read about me that really resonated? I want to find if there was something particular that really struck a chord. And then 98% of the conversation is all about them in terms of what they're working on, sharing their perspectives as far as how they see their career, how they see their lives and getting some of those things that are essential in their life, but maybe not, placing enough time and attention on those and, you know, getting a landscape of their stakeholders um, and, and sort of going through like current day and clearly, you know, want to get to the end where, Hey, let's paint that big, vibrant, compelling vision for you in the future. You know, do they see it? You know, and sometimes they, they don't, they just, all they know is that I'm feeling pain here. I'm feeling stressed. I'm feeling overwhelmed. And I don't want to feel that anymore. So I don't know what the, the future looks like, but I, I want a brighter future. Uh, there are a lot of people that just come to me and say, you know what? I'm not just, I'm not getting the, I'm not getting the love and attention and development from my boss. And I, just, I, I want someone in my corner. I want someone who will help me strategize, help me game plan, hold me accountable. They'll, they'll push me when I need to be pushed. They'll celebrate me when I have earned a reason to celebrate. So there's a, you know, sometimes there's a big void between the person that's coming to me and their boss, especially if they're just coming off the street. And so we work through that with through a, a series of questions. I usually ask just maybe a couple and then I'll pull a thread or two off of those and try to go back and forth. And really the main goal is like, can we, do we, do we share some of the same energy? Do we, you know, philosophically, sharing the same vocabulary so we we know that there's a good fit and not to make it like we're the same because sometimes you know different iron sharpens different iron right so we're like so we we are in a we're in a position where i can push them when they need to be pushed and going back to what i just said celebrate them when you know they've earned celebration and not make it too cozy because some of coaching is, is trying to create some tension, right? And that tension and even looking at stress through a different lens helps us build and grow and become faster and better and brighter and stronger and all that jazz. Well, before we wrap, do you mind sharing uh, 
one or two actionable pieces of advice for uh, another coach that can help them uh, kind of get to where they're going, maybe share, you know, without the learning curve as much as you possibly went through? Like sure you don't, thing, you, you don't have to get in a bike accident. Yeah, without right? the wreck. <laughs> you know, that's not mandatory. That's optional, right? Yeah. So there, there's a couple that I see that a lot of coaches struggle with. So one is totally embrace your value. So many coaches that I've met along the way, some coaches I've trained with, they've come into the profession and say, hey, I want to change lives. I want to make a difference in the world. And then when it comes to their, their pricing, what they charge for their coaching, they short sell themselves. And they're like, ah, oh, well, I, I charge X hundreds of dollars, or maybe it's not even hundreds of dollars. So if you believe in coaching, if you believe that it works, own your value and, and stand, stand not arrogant behind it, but confident that the work you do matters in business, that people are going to make better decisions because of you. And people's lives will change, not only their customers, their business customers, but the people within the company. And that has a beautiful cascade because that comes home and that cascades into their friends. And slowly but surely, you change the world. I, I totally believe that one way we can change our society is by changing work because we spend so much time at work. So if you're a business coach in this space, just own your value, charge, charge your value. Um, and the second thing I would say is put yourself out there. Like when I started, like I would, you know, when I go back and look at the first blog post or the first videos I put out, they're a little cringeworthy to be, <laughs> to be honest, but we have to start somewhere. You put yourself out there. You try to be the true you with all your blemishes, with all your scars and wrinkles and everything else. But you try to show up. With value, and the next video or the next vlog, you make it a little bit better, and you keep on doing that. Uh, so many people let the start stop them. So I, I would encourage all the business coaches out there just to start. Uh, put yourself out there because the world needs you. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. And uh, one more time, if people want to get a hold of the book or get a hold of you, uh, what's the coordinates, website, etc. The best bot is uh, michaelobrienshift.com, www.michaelobrienshift.com. People can call me directly. Then my number's there on my website. You can get an autographed copy of Shift there. Of course, Jeff Bezos has a few copies in his warehouse at Amazon. You can get, you can get a copy there as well. But uh, michaelobrienshift.com is a great place to start. Uh, start our relationship. Start, uh, start our connection. Good stuff. Thank you once again for sharing your story, Michael. Best of luck. And um, this is Lee Cantor for Stone Payton. We will see you all next time on Coach the Coach Radio.